Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. We are... Oh, thank you, Mason. We are, we are going to dive into two verses today, like last week. I, I really thought we would hit more this week, but uh, the Lord really wrote a special message for uh, Hebrews 11, 4, and 5 here. So, I'm, I'm excited about this message, The Mark of Faith is what the Lord titled it, and you know, when you think about being marked by faith, we're getting into what the Lord, many, like I mentioned, call chapter 11 the hall of faith because there's so much in it about faith, and we're getting into the, the section of the chapter where the Lord starts to show us examples of great people that walked by faith in the Bible according to God's word, so as we dive into this, just there's a lot to unpack about each example the Lord gives here. And so we're going to spend some time and maybe go through these one by one, starting with Abel. And I, I know many of you probably know the story of Abel and Cain. I, it's funny, even about, as I was typing it, I was thinking, you always hear it, Cain and Abel. It sounds so weird to say Abel and Cain. But you, you hear it, Cain and Abel, because Cain was the firstborn and then Abel, but Abel was the one that walked by faith, and we're, so we're going to really dive into that. And like always, we've got to lean on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to really teach us everything about Abel's life, about why he was accepted by God, why he excelled with the Lord, and Cain didn't. And there's, there's a lot of lessons for us today to learn out of this. So again, like I do every week, I'm just encouraging all of us to please lean on the Holy Spirit to teach us everything out of God's Word. He's, he is so desperate and hungry to get with every one of us to teach us as we pursue the Lord. And in our outline, we're, we're still in chapter 11 here. The true and better response is faith. There's only 13 chapters in Hebrews, and so we're, we're making it slowly. And like I mentioned after, afterwards, after we get through Hebrews... I'm going to spend a few weeks going through prophecy, where are we and why, and just kind of do a special series on that, looking at the events in the world today and what's on the horizon and why. And then we'll, we'll figure out which book to go through next after that. So from the beginning of Hebrews, remember all the way until chapter 10, verse 18, the Holy Spirit was dealing with all those heavy theological issues. Remember, uh, Jesus was superior. He fulfilled the law of Moses. He created the angels and is the son of God. The angels worship him, not the other way around. And the Levitical priesthood has been disannulled by him. And so he is our high priest. By disannulling the law, he ushered in a priesthood superior to that of Levi. And the father never said to one of the angels, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. When we go through prophecy, where are we and why, that's going to be a key point that God has a promise to the son that he will make his enemies his footstool. 
And I don't know if you've noticed yet or not, but that has not happened. That's not happened yet, but it will. And there's a lot to learn out of that. But from Hebrews 10, 19 on, the rest of the book is really a practical application for all of us from the Lord for today. How do we walk and abide in Jesus today? And so how do you take all of this from Hebrews that we've been studying for so long and use it in this sanctification process, right? How do you do that? That's, that's what the close of the book is all about. Okay, and these five warnings, the book is built on these five major warnings to believers. And we've gone through four of them. The fifth one picks up in chapter 12, the danger of refusing, or many might call it apostasy. You just finally become an apostate. Keep in mind, apostasy, to apostasize, that verb, it is... It is linked to believers and unbelievers alike. It simply means to turn away from. It's to rebel against. And so you don't necessarily have to be unsaved or saved to apostatize. You can apostatize from your parents, for example, if you wanted to turn away from them. You could apostatize from a job. You could apostatize from you're refusing it and you're turning away from it. That's the point of that. But each warning builds on the other one, ultimately culminating with that as the final act of rebellion. It's, it's much like, think about the Lord's discussion with Pharaoh in the Exodus event. Okay, it doesn't, in the Hebrew, when you really read it, and you read in the English, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, what he is saying is that he gave Pharaoh over to his heart's desires. It wasn't that the Lord was not giving him a chance. He because of his sovereignty, allowed Pharaoh to walk according to his own desires. And as a result, his heart was hardened. And that's really, it was to strengthen him to keep rebelling against the Lord, ultimately leading to the death of the firstborn. But look at Revelation 3, verse 16. This is where, this is really where nobody wants to be, right? Jesus talking to the church of Laodicea. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Okay, lukewarm, it's refusing, it's being indifferent to God. That is not, Jesus is not dancing around the issue. If you are lukewarm, he is not pleased with that. And he, want, he will spew you out. He can't use you for anything. And so it's just amazing that, that Jesus hits that on in the last letter to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 because the ultimate, the church age does end in a lot of apostasy. So these warnings are in place, and we're going to talk about this some today, because God is longing for this deep, deep relationship with all of us. He is, he is screaming alarm bells in the book of Hebrews in terms of don't drift, stay steadfast. You've got something on the other side of all of this that is worth fighting for. So you've got to stay strong, and how you do that is to stay in God's word. Now, another thing, as, I, as I've been thinking about after we finish Hebrews, part of the benefit of studying prophecy is if you looked at everything that's going on in the world today, you could easily sit back and go, this is absolutely horrible. I want to bury my head and never come out of my house again because of maybe not necessarily what's going on in Oklahoma City, but you've got to look at the world Okay, the broader picture of what's happening to God's people that are being chased and slaughtered everywhere, 
uh, people that are, there are still over 60 million people in lockdown in China, and no choice. And you don't hear about that on the news, but that's happening. You don't hear about the things that are going on in Australia. Uh, fortunately, we have a, a family in Australia that watches us online and sends us stuff a lot, and they really keep us informed of what's going on down there in the government. But if you did not know at the end of the day, Jesus wins and sits on the throne, and that you have a, a plan to be removed by the God of the universe before this gets worse, then I don't know about you guys, but I would, I would struggle to press on because it's just, it's a lot. It's heavy. And the key is because of those promises, we should have the faith to march through those walls and to inherit on the other side of this what the Lord has for us. And God is going to use a lot of examples in Hebrews 11 here about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and how they were heirs of a promise they never saw come to pass, but yet they pressed on. And the reason is because they clung to God's word. And even, I think we'll get into this next week, but even when Jesus is talking about the resurrection in Matthew, he doesn't say anything except, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, why does he link that to the resurrection? Well, he links it to the resurrection because if you know your Bible, they have so many unfulfilled promises that are yet to pass. And Jesus is saying, I'm their God because those promises have not been fulfilled. They have to be resurrected to inherit them. And so it's a promise. It's a fulfillment of a promise for the king. So just to review the three verses we've covered so far in this chapter. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And so as a result of all of this, what should our response be in walking through this world? By the word of God, we too should build our faith so that we can overcome and press on. Think about Romans 8, verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. But there's a conditional statement here by the Lord. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And there's, so that, get the picture, there's a conditional, you are a joint heir with Christ, but that is a reward. That's not a guarantee. It's if, if you suffer with him. It's a lot, it links really well into Mason's message from a few weeks ago from Galatians. So beginning in verse four here, the Lord is going to give us a list of some of those elders and the report they received because of their faith. And the exact term by faith, remember it occurs 36 times in the Greek New Testament with 16 of those in Hebrews chapter 11. So almost half. And we'll review Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, and others as we're going through this. But keep in mind in what you're doing in your life, 
in Revelation 2, verse 13. Because as we're walking through this world, you know, like I mentioned, if you don't have the view of God's prophetic promises on the other side of this, it can weigh you down. And as you're going through and working for the Lord and pressing on in the kingdom, do not forget Revelation 2.13 and 2.19. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. In, in verse 19 here, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. So Jesus knows your works, whether they're good or bad, he knows them. He knows your works. And so do not forget that God does not miss a single thing in what you're doing in your life. As you're ministering to people, as you are pursuing people, as you are praying alongside people, as you're praying with your spouse, as you're pouring into your children, he does not miss that. So be encouraged by that, whether it's good or bad, frankly. So for the verses today, Hebrews 11, verse 4, By faith Abel offered unto God, unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. It's amazing how Abel's faith ripples throughout eternity, yet he's dead. He's not here right now. It's because he, he was working according to God's word, and his word is eternal and does not return void. And so it's rippled throughout history. So the story of Abel and Cain, it's really unique all the way at the beginning of the Bible. And I want you guys to think about this. Both knew the Lord. Both knew that he required a sacrifice, but only one brought forth what God required. Only one. Both of them had a relationship with him. Cain is an example of one who tries to get to God by works without faith. Remember, he offered the fruit of the ground. He was a tiller of the soil. Abel, on the other hand, is an example of one who chooses God's way to grow in deeper fellowship with him. And his works are a witness of that faith. He offered what God required, and what God required was a lamb of the flock, something that Abel had no part in birthing, growing, taking care of, nothing. He had no works involved in it. It was something that God did, and as a result, he was a steward of, and then he brought that as a sacrifice. So the blood sacrifice was required by God, but that is not what made Abel righteous. He obtained a witness that he was righteous because he offered what God required. Keep that in mind. Okay, let's look at this story real quick. The story of Abel and Cain. It sounds so weird even to say that. Abel and Cain. But I like the, the last became first. Okay, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering of, 
unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance falling? So understand, Cain was, was working the ground, tilling, growing, trying to plant seed, harvest, and he was bringing those works to God and laying them on the altar. Lord, look at all that I've done. Look at everything I'm doing and how hard I'm working. How great am I? Okay, that was his offering. Whereas Abel was doing what God wanted. If thou doest well, in verse 7 here, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Okay, if you do not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire. In other words, sin will have his way with your life. If you're going to go about your walk with the Lord outside of his direction and bring to God what you think you need to bring to him, not what he requires, there is a promise connected here that you will be chastened, you will be corrected, you will be, God is trying to raise a family. And so he is trying to get you to realize, again, he requires submission, surrender, and what he commands, not what you want to bring to him. And what he commands is your life, a living sacrifice to him. And we're going to look at that in Romans in a minute. But Cain talked with Abel. So get the picture now. Cain brought what he thought God really needed. God did not accept it. And so part of your, your thought may be, well, how did he know it wasn't accepted? We're going to look at that in a second. But Cain then got indignant and had anger build up in him against his brother because his brother was walking in righteousness with the Lord. He was not. And the anger led him to murder because he was so mad that God, how could you bless Abel and look upon him favorably and all he does is bring you an animal. He had nothing to do with growing and yet here I am sweltering in the day, sweating the brow and bringing you all this tilling of the ground, this works-based sanctification process that I'm a part of and you're not accepting it. And so, and Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. So he got so mad in his walk with the Lord that he decided to murder his brother. And the Lord said unto Cain, I love the Lord. He's so, he asked these rhetorical questions all throughout the Bible, and it's just wonderful. Where is Abel thy brother? Like he didn't know. And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? So now Cain's in the defensive mode, right? Cain is in the mode of, hey, I, I'm not in charge of this guy. You didn't give him to me. 
I offered you all my works. Look at everything I did. I don't know where he is. And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. So think about how many babies have been aborted since 1960, whatever, whenever Roe v. Wade was instituted. The Lord told me this years ago. He said, their blood cries to me from the ground. And I am telling you, the Lord has a a strict judgment on those that take vengeance into their own hands and decide to murder people. And how does that happen today? Well, sometimes it's physical murder in the womb like we're seeing. But sometimes, what does Jesus say? If you have anger against your brother, you've already committed murder. See, the law took the physical where Jesus took it to the heart, which is why in the law, it was an, a, a sin to commit adultery. Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 it's not just the act. It's if you have lust in your heart, then you've already done that. It's the same thing if you have anger in your heart. You've already murdered someone. And so their blood cries out to the king And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of the brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground, and now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And so Cain is cursed from this point on. His walk completely stalled. He was going to have to work twice as hard. He was going to have to work way harder than he did before. And he was cursed. Now, remember when this happens, remember he runs and he's marked by God. He's protected still. He's saved. But his walk stalls and he is not fruitful for the kingdom, as far as we know in the Bible, at least from that point on. So how did they know if their sacrifice was accepted by God? It's really simple. In the Old Testament, God took it by fire from heaven. And you see this with Moses and Aaron in Leviticus 9, verse 24. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. Can you imagine? Can you imagine when we've had altar calls up here, when you come up here, if there just was a giant pillar of fire that came from heaven, and whatever you laid down before God, it was taken immediately. Whatever you had in the spirit, you were laying down. A job situation, your marriage, your children, a relationship, your parents, maybe a sick family member, and it just was taken. How radical would that be? But it happens in the spirit. I promise you it happens in the spirit. You just don't see the pillar of fire right now, but you will. Someday you will. Look at Gideon in Judges 6, verses 21 through 23. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto me, Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. Now think about, in the Old Testament, this is something for you to understand as you're studying your Bible. When it says an angel of the Lord, 
that term is used of angels and Jesus in the Old Testament. And how do you know which one it is? And that example is simple. If they allow themselves to be worshipped. If they don't, then it's not Jesus. So here, a sacrifice was taken. This is Jesus talking to Gideon. So when offering what God requires, peace takes the place of fear. And you're preserved no matter what the enemy schemes. No matter what. Okay, look at Samson's parents in Judges 13. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we shall have made ready a kid for thee. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. And if thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. In verses 17 and 18 here. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, what is thy name that when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor? And the angel of the Lord said unto him, why askest thou, thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? Okay, this is Jesus. And when you read Isaiah 9, 6, one of the titles of Jesus, remember he shall be called, and it goes through the list, one of them is wonderful. Where is Jesus called wonderful in the Bible? Right here. That word in the Hebrew, seeing thou after my name, why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? In the Hebrew, that word means wonderful or indescribable. That's the God that we serve. His name is wonderful and indescribable. So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on, for it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. So here they are worshiping and sacrificing to Jesus. He accepts the sacrifice. His name is wonderful, and that fire goes up to heaven, and he goes back home. Okay, look at Elijah in 1 Kings 18. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. How amazing would that be? Now, this is that, the, remember the contest between the prophets of Baal and the prophet of Yahweh, Elijah. And remember, remember the whole setup when Elijah comes to them and is like, okay, let's see whose God is really the God, the God of the universe. We're going to set up an altar. You guys lay your sacrifice on it. Do whatever you need to do, and let's see if it's accepted by God. And remember they... They're crying out and they're cutting themselves and they're, and they're screaming. And Elijah, I love Elijah. He's so sarcastic. He's like, well, maybe your God is using the restroom. You know, maybe your God is, is asleep and you just don't see it. Maybe he's, he's out to, to lunch. And, and they're just going berserk because nothing's happening. And then Elijah takes his. And not only does he, he dig a trench around it, he douses it in water he fills the trench with water. It's what you would call a handicap, right, in golf. You'd call this a handicap. 
because then the fire comes down. Not only does it take the sacrifice, but it consumes the altar, the earth itself, and the water. Now that's a God to serve, and that's who we serve. Uh, David in 1 Chronicles 21, and David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord, and he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. And the Lord commanded the angel, and he put up his sword again into the sheath thereof. At that time when David saw that the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor of Ornon, the Jebusite, then he sacrificed there for the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses made in the wilderness, and the altar of the burnt offering were at that season in the high place at Gibeon. So you could ask, why was the tabernacle of Moses in a high place? It should not have been there. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid because of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Now, in this whole event, remember, Satan comes up against Israel and convinces David to take a census of the people. And David was not supposed to do that. He takes a census, and pride set in that he was so strong because of the numbers of their military, their might. And God did not want the pride of his army to set in. He wanted him to walk by strength that God was his defense, not these people and these chariots and these horses. And as a result, remember, the prophet comes to David and says, all right, you've messed up. You've got three options. There's going to be a famine in the land, a pestilence throughout it, or you can fall into the hand of the living God. And David falls into the hand of the living God, and there's an angel that comes forward with a slaughter weapon, some kind of technology in the Bible that we don't know what it is yet, and starts to wipe out and level Jerusalem. And David humbles himself and repents, and God tells the angel, now stop. And that's why he put his sword back in his sheath. So amazing story. Anytime you study David, look for his, the posture of his heart continually. It is always a posture of repentance toward God and turning toward him. Anytime he messes up. In Solomon, in 2 Chronicles 7, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement. I'm not sure how they had pavement. And worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. So looking at these examples, what are you bringing to the Lord as a sacrifice? Your works or your life, because he, he requires one and the other is a result out of it. When you bring your life as a living sacrifice, works come out of that. He doesn't want the works as the sacrifice. He wants you. He wants your life. So is faithful obedience in your heart, or are you trying to work your way to a deeper relationship with God? And, that, and what is it that the Lord would ask of us today? It's just that simple. What is it today? How does this happen today? Well, it's Romans 12, dedicated service to God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. There it is. 
No longer a sacrifice that's consumed on the altar. No longer one that's living that's got to be killed and brought to God. He commands a living sacrifice because when you are sacrificed to God and to what he's doing, he needs you living to go forward to his call upon your life. Brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, that's only one attribute, that who's got the only attribute that's holy? It's God. You have to clothe yourself in it. You are not holy. God is, and when you are obedient to him, he clothes you in his holiness. Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So you have a service to God. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, how do you do that? Not be conformed to the world is difficult, right? We live in a place that there's a lot of the world to be conformed to where we are. There's a lot of the world that's offered to you where you are. In the United States, in the Midwest, in a land that is abundantly overflowing with blessings in Oklahoma. There's a lot to be offered here but it's a blessing from God. Don't let it distract you and take you astray where you become a part of the world. The Lord wants to bless you here. He has an anointing upon the state. I am telling you, I've lived in, Randy and I have lived in a lot of places. There is an anointing over Oklahoma. His blessing is on this land. There's a reason why there's 300 days of sunshine a year here. It's because the Lord is here. Uh, we've lived in, in Philadelphia, for example. I don't know where the Lord is in Philadelphia. I'll, I'll be honest. I, we, lived in, we lived in near downtown temporarily on, on a big project, and it's a dark place. It's a really dark place. I mean, you walk around, and it is, it's hard. But anyway, all that to say, do not be conformed to this world. You have a blessing here. And how do you get transformed by the renewing of your mind? That is by getting into the word of God. That's the only way. Because he transforms your mind, not devotionals, not commentaries, not worship songs even. It's the word of God. That is the only thing that transforms your mind. And none of those things are bad. Don't misunderstand me. Please don't misunderstand me. So, but they don't take the place of being in God's word. You've got to do that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of his faith. So you're dealt something from God according to the measure of your faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So God is saying, the deeper you're in my word, the deeper you're in fellowship with me, the deeper you're in a relationship with me, the more I can trust you with, the more I can bestow upon you and your household peace, joy, the anointing of gladness from Psalms. The Lord was really encouraging to me this week that in my reading... There's a psalm that says, because you love righteousness and abhor wickedness, I'm anointing you with the oil of gladness. There's a, there's a blessing to walk with the Lord. And I'm just, I'm encouraging all of you 
You can have joy no matter your circumstances if you're walking with him. And for as we have been many mem- as we have many members in one body and all members are not the same office so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to this grace the grace that is given to us whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Now when you go through these, we won't go off on too much of a rabbit trail, but notice that gifts, a lot of times God links them also in proportion of your faith. So keep that in mind. You may have a gift that is sitting dormant right now. And I talked to, there's a, a ministry here in Oklahoma City uh, that is a deliverance ministry, and the guy delivers people that have demonic oppression. Uh, and sometimes possession. And it's in downtown Oklahoma City, and I was talking to him, and I was just asking him some questions and getting to know him. And he said one of the things that he likes to do as he is ministering to people that are possessed by demons, he, tell, he makes the demon tell them what gifts he sees in them that God has placed that are dormant. And once they get delivered, he tells them, hey, these are the gifts that you have inside of you. One of them he was telling me about was music. This guy had no idea that he had a gift of music, but it was an encouragement to him afterwards to know, hey, this might be something, this might be my call to walk in. It's very interesting, very interesting. Okay, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dismolation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. Remember what Jesus said? How will they know you? By your love for one another. And there is nothing more discouraging or distracting to the world than to watch Christians fight with each other. Because they're sitting there going, I don't want any part of this. You guys are inviting me into something and there's nothing but strife and arguing here. I want no part of that. And so it's a deterrent to the world. That's why Jesus said, they will know you if you love one another. So you gotta do that. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. An honor, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, You know, if you have a job, a business, something, be a steward of it. God has entrusted you with it. Don't take it for granted. Don't be slothful in it. Put your whole heart into it according to the Lord. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. That's a hard one at times. Continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Remember in verse 13 here, distributing to the necessity of saints, remember love meets a need. Love's not an action. And so if there are people around you that have a need, give to them, meet that need. If the Holy, the Holy Spirit knows what people in your life need. And so if you are being prayerful about families in your circle, God will show you, he'll direct you, hey, this family really needs this and you can meet it, go do it. It's a, that's a huge blessing. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. 
Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Remember Jesus said, if, if an enemy strikes you on the cheek, give them the other one. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, here's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I know a lot of us, you get impatient in walking with the Lord and and God. How do the wicked excel? How are they ruling over nations? How are they in charge of gigantic corporations? How are they, and the the Lord says, it's okay. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay. And in Psalms, he actually takes it a step further. They're blessed in this life, and they have nothing after They leave it to those whom they know not, and they go on into perdition, never to see the fruit of it again. And that should be encouraging, because when you walk with the Lord, it is hard at times, right? When you look around, especially in 2020, and you're just sitting there going, how are they getting away with this? What in the world is happening? But God has, he always plays the long game. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So every attack of the enemy, you overcome evil with good. That's that's a principle. Okay, God does not want your works as your sacrifice, like Cain. But your works will be a result of your faith. Do not misunderstand that works are not It's not that works are bad. He does not want you to bring that to him. He wants that to be a result of him in you. Okay, you've got to rightly divide this. In James 2, verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. So your faith is dead if you don't have works outflowing out of you. Yea, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works, just like Cain and Abel. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? See, believing in God is not enough. The demons believe and tremble, but they're not saved. Remember the demons that Jesus took out of that man? Have you come to torment us before our time? They know their destiny, and they knew it wasn't to be done yet. So how did they know that? Well, Satan can read the word of God. He has it. He has no understanding of it because he does not have the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week. 
They know their future and their place. They don't understand it, though. And there's a principle here, too, that we'll talk about when we get into the prophecy, uh, why and where are we. Satan always fights in timelines. That's why Hezekiah moved the sundial backwards. And he even said, hey, it's a light thing to move it forward. So why did he think that was nothing for God to do? It's because he had seen it a lot before. But he said, oh, it's a hard thing to move it backwards. Let's go backwards in time. Joshua, remember, to fight, he had to make the sun stand still. Now, how did he do that? God simply changed the procession of the earth. He didn't just stop the globe all of a sudden. Every, every human on earth would have just flown into outer space as fast as we're going. He had to change the procession of it. Satan tries to fight in timelines, and that's why those demons say, have you come before our time? Are you here before it's our time? He knows the timeline, and he tries to accelerate things. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scriptures was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of of God. Now there's a principle here too. Abraham's a friend of God. Daniel is one whom God loved. It was a deeper relationship. And Daniel gets the most descriptive prophetic vision, maybe in the entire Bible. One of the greatest prophecies, the 70 weeks of Daniel, to the day when Jesus would ride in on the donkey. He also gets the most descriptive outline of what will happen to the beast antichrist system in Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the vision, his interpretation of it. See, Daniel had a deeper relationship with God. He was one whom God loved. Abraham was a friend of God. Now, why, would it, why was that? Well, remember when God told Abraham to go one way, he chose to go the other way until his parents died. And you learn that in Acts and some other spots. But that principle f- comes forward to the New Testament who was the disciple that God loved, Jesus loved? John, right? John. The others, there was always an inside group, Peter, James, and John. Andrew made it to the transfiguration, but not some other spots. John gets the greatest book in the Bible, which is Revelation, because he was the one whom Jesus loved, because he had a deeper relationship. He was close to him at the table. He was resting his head on Jesus' bosom. Remember, so he's always on the inside track, no matter what's happening. Peter, on the other hand, was like, ready, fire, aim. And, and he, he was the one that drew the sword and cut off ears and was just, hey, I'm taking this under my own strength and fighting. He lost his discipleship after the resurrection. So there's a principle throughout the Bible of getting more the closer you are to God. And, and again, it's just, can he trust you with it? Seest thou hast faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, 
so faith without works is dead also. So your body is a temporary dwelling. It's your spirit that's connected to God that allows your heart to beat, your brain to function, you to move your hand. If you, if you think, move my left hand, to run, to speak, to utter anything from your tongue, it's your spirit that is connected to God. It's how if you get a cut, you, how does your body know to clot that cut? It's not your body, it's the spirit of God. Otherwise, you would bleed out, no matter how small it was over time. God is in everything you do in your body. And that's why in uh, that guy, Bill uh, Winchy, I think, in his vision when he was taken to hell, he had no strength to move because without the Lord, you have no strength. And it, anyway, there's a lot of, look that up on YouTube if you've never seen that. It's, it's amazing. How do you recognize someone in deep fellowship with God? Look at Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter ye at the gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. If you're walking on a road and there's a lot of people around you, be careful, be careful what road you're walking on, because wide is that road, and wide is that gate that leads to destruction. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. You know, this reminds me of the children of Israel when they're walking through the wilderness. It was a narrow path. They couldn't see that far ahead, and they had to curve around roads constantly. They didn't know what the next turn would bring. If you look at pictures of it, they're walking through these rocks and mountains and these little, little uh, paths throughout the rocks. It might be from here to the parking lot they could see, and that's it. But they had to keep pressing on. They didn't know when God said, okay, move right now. Was there going to be someone around that corner waiting just to take them out? Was, were they going to lose children? Were they going to lose spouses? They had no idea. But that's what the Lord calls us to do, to keep walking. Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. There's, there's a principle for us. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So when you are walking and you're in this, in this world and you're going to be surrounded by a lot of, of people that come and go in your life, when their fruit is, when their works are not bearing fruit for the kingdom, be very, very careful, okay? Because as Chris was talking about up here in, in during worship, uh, Satan wants to pick you off one by one, and he will do it any way he can. So let's look at Hebrews 11.5, the last verse we'll cover today. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. It was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That's a simple testimony. That's a very simple testimony. He pleased God. 
He walked with God. This is all from Genesis 5. Now, keep in mind, there are three groups of people in the flood of Noah. There is the group that was translated or raptured before the judgment. There are those preserved in the ark of Noah through the judgment, and those are, there are those that perish in the judgment. The same three groups in the tribulation, the church raptured beforehand, believers in him that are preserved throughout the tribulation, and there's a lot of people that perish during the tribulation. Remember the 144,000 that are sealed during that time of tribulation? They are preserved throughout. Same three groups. So just keep that in mind. This is all a typology of what is yet to come. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years. That's a long time to walk with God. Now the speed of light was exponentially faster. The earth was spinning quicker. So one year back then is very different than one year today. So the 300 years, it's hard to, it's almost impossible, frankly, to really say how long these men lived. But it was a long, long time. And beget sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. It's that simple. In the Hebrew, it literally reads, he was there, and then he was not there anymore. So that's kind of interesting. Since Enoch pleased God, it's the very evidence of his faith, and because of his faith, he was translated, caught up, raptured, snatched away before the judgment. That's our place in the church. If you are in Christ today, that is your place. Okay, Hebrews eleven six. We're going to jump forward one verse for just a second. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, we're going to dive into this really deeply next week. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. A rewarder. God has a reward for you and I and everybody that diligently seeks him. He's a rewarder. He's not a God that sits back and tells you, okay, go lay your life on the line and let's just see how this plays out. Um, and, and when you get up here, I'll give you an attaboy. That's not, that's not the God we serve. He sees what you do, and he's a rewarder. B- abide in God, get into his word, and seek and understand his call on your life. That is the greatest journey you can ever walk on in this life, is to understand what did God equip you to do. Your faith is how you will become pleasing to the Lord, And now more than ever, we must be watching. We've got to be diligent in our walks because he's a rewarder of those that seek him. You know, I'll be real honest. Demonic activity in the globe is just ramping up through the roof. There's a lot of evil in this world, a lot of evil people calling evil into this world. And we more than ever have got to put on the entire armor of God every day and go out there. We've got to occupy and bear fruit while we await a homecoming because you and I have a homecoming in store. And it it may be in our life. it It may be after we pass away. But as Titus 3 calls this, our blessed hope is the rapture, the harpazo, the great snatch, as you could call it. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, 
How many of you have been church in church your whole life? You don't have to raise your hands. But in church your whole life and have been ignorant of the rapture? I'll raise my hand because, frankly, most of my life it hasn't been taught. Um, a lot of the churches I was in for many years strayed away from prophecy. They didn't want anything to do with it. They thought it was too difficult to understand. They thought, why are we even studying these things? Nobody can really know, right? There's all these different opinions. But it's amazing how when you dig into it, Revelation 19, the testimony of Jesus, is the spirit of prophecy. Everything prophetic in the word of God points you to Jesus. And the enemy would want nothing more than to keep you out of it. Because when you truly understand it, you will have an urgency and a fervency to walk with him and by him, no matter what the enemy throws at you. It is so encouraging. Now, I would not have you to be ignorant. See, God wants us to know and understand about this. Concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. It's a loud trumpet. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's the word, harpazo. In the Latin, it's rapturo. That's where rapture is in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17. Caught up, raptured out with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, be very, very worried, concerned, and fret over your life with one another with these words. No, that's not, that's not what God says. Comfort one another. Comfort. Prophecy is comforting. The fact that you and I get to go home and be with the Lord at some point from John 14 when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, that is comforting. That is something that should give you complete encouragement and strength to march on in the Lord because you are not of this world. You are a sojourner through it. And this is not our home. You've got to be watchful and press on to inherit the promises to come. God has so many promises, not only to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to David and others, but to you and I as the church. You and I are the blessed generation and group of believers that get to be co-heirs with Jesus in the next world. In 2 Peter 3, 12 through, through 14 here, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved. When Jesus removes his voice, like we talked about last week, and every atom, every single molecule in the universe is held together by his sound waves, when he holds back his voice and just lets go, we've all seen it, right? Videos of nuclear bombs going off. Imagine the entire universe doing that every atom as a nuclear bomb, that is the, what God so eloquently calls the fervent heat. That's a lot of heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, see, he's a God that keeps promises. 
you know, when you study other religions and get to talk to people that are not Christ followers, Allah, for example, um, in their faith, Allah can do anything he wants. He's capricious. It doesn't matter. He doesn't keep his promises. And they know that, and that's why they walk stressed out all the time. And that's also why he commands that demonic spirit commands their works. Go kill yourself and I'll reward you. Jesus said, I'll kill myself and I'll reward you. There's a difference. There's a difference in the God that we serve compared to Satan and all of those fallen angels and those demonic spirits. They're liars. They've been liars from the beginning and they continue to lie today and they're going to lie until the Lord makes them Jesus's footstool, and you and I are there to watch it. Fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth. That's a promise, and we covered that in Isaiah last week. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. See, you've got to be, look at the very end of this, because you are seeing the promise of God to come, you have to be diligent that you may be found by the one that spoke you into existence, found in peace, without spot, and blameless. That means you're not causing strife within the body. You're not you are not going out and confusing people. You are not leading people astray with words. In Matthew 17, God talks about you know, those that lead a little one astray, it would be better they have a millstone around their neck and thrown in the ocean than to ever be born. He's not talking about children. He's talking about young in the faith. He's talking about the little ones in the faith, those that come to know him and are trying to grow in him. He's, it's, not, it's not an age thing. It's a spiritual age thing. He showed me that really clearly a couple months ago. In 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, But ye are a chosen generation, this is us, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A royal priesthood. Remember, we are one of the only ones in the Bible that are kings and priests to God, just like Melchizedek, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, that is us, we are to be pilgrims in this world, it's not our home, we are passing through, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul the soul, not your spirit, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now think about that. When you, when you treat those that speak evil against you, when you treat them with absolute kindness and love and a response glorifying the God of the universe, it's amazing that out of your faith in the Lord, 
they are then your good works. That's what Second Peter was talking about there. So why all of this? Well, because the unshakable kingdom is approaching. And see that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. It's there's once more, it's in the book of Isaiah, that God is going to shake the earth and the heavens during the tribulation leading into the millennium. He literally says he's going to remove the earth out of her place. That's how all of the islands and the mountains in Revelation flee away because the shearing stresses on the the plates of the earth will just crumble when God literally, after he's removed us during the tribulation, takes the earth spinning as fast as it is and just pushes it over out of orbit. And that's also why in the tribulation, you know not the day nor the hour. You will have no concept of what time it is because as Isaiah describes, the earth will rock to and fro as a drunkard. It's because the sun will not have consistency, the moon, there will not be seasons. You'll have an hour of daylight, it'll disappear. You'll have the moon come up for three days and then the sun for six weeks, it'll disappear. The earth literally will be wobbling in the universe. Just imagine. And that's why in Daniel 7, the Lord says the Antichrist will seek to change the times and the seasons. He has to change time itself during the tribulation because it won't exist. There will be no time. Not to get off on too much of a tangent also, but he's going to shake the earth and the heavens. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. And that is a question for all of us. Can you be shaken? Or are you standing on the solid rock of Jesus or is your house on shifting sand? Remember the Lord talked about that, those two differences. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, that is your inheritance, a kingdom that cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Okay, this unshakable kingdom, think about Nebuchadnezzar's dream from Daniel 2. Just a few more slides, we'll get out of here. Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. So the gold was Babylon. The uh, silver, the silver of his breast and arms, that was Medo-Persia. His belly and his thighs of brass was uh, Greece, and his legs of iron was Rome. And God interprets that for you later in Daniel. His feet, part of iron, part of clay, is the final beast system. It's ten toes. That's why there's ten kings that rise up that the Lord speaks of. The Antichrist comes out of those ten kings. But that's the final beast system. Okay, thou sawest till that a stone was cut without hands. Who is that stone? It's Jesus. 
The stone, remember in Psalms, the stone that the builders rejected has become the head of the corner, the headstone of the corner. This stone cut without hands smote the image upon his feet. That's the Antichrist beast system that were of iron and clay and break them, shattered them into pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. That's it. That's the last earthly kingdom. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is a kingdom. Okay, that's the dream he saw. This is a physical kingdom from heaven led by Jesus that shatters the Antichrist beast kingdom. God's interpretation in Daniel 2, verse 44, in the days of these kings, the ones of the ten toes, the beast system, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. The whole Bible is a kingdom book. The whole thing from beginning to end, it's always been a war of a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand only for a thousand years. No. <laughs> Again, that's not what God's word says. It shall stand forever. Jesus has a kingdom coming for you and I forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof, sure. This is a literal, physical kingdom from heaven itself to destroy the coming beast system. And so my encouragement to all of you is to get ready and to run for Jesus now because you have an opportunity to be marked by faith. Ezekiel 9 is why the Lord titled this message, Marked by Faith. Are you marked by faith as one who abhors sin and wickedness in the body and this world? In Ezekiel 9, verse 1, he cried also in mine ears. Now, if you don't know the background, Ezekiel, we're almost finished. Just hang tight. A few more things here. Ezekiel's taken in a vision. He sees all of the abominations in the spirit that are going on in Jerusalem. And he cried also in mine ears with a loud voice saying, cause them that have charge over the city to draw near even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. Okay, these men are angels. These are super angels coming forward with a destroying weapon of technology. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, that's to the north, which lieth toward the north. And every man a slaughter weapon. Now, it's interesting. Remember, Satan wanted to set his throne on the sides of the north. Why the north? It's not magnetic north. It's a different north. It's where God is. And every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And, every one, and one man among them was clothed with linen. This is Jesus. Anytime you study in the Bible and you see a man clothed in linen, in Daniel, he's walking on water. In Ezekiel here, he is going to go forward with a writer's inkhorn and seal his people. You're sealed by none other than Jesus, no one else. You are marked by him with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was, to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city 
through the midst of Jerusalem and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. This mark in the Hebrew is the letter Tav. It's a cross. So Jesus is going through and he's marking those that abhor the wickedness going on in the city. And to the others, he said in mine hearing, go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the cross, the mark, the tav, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men, which were before the house. It's, this is also why the Antichrist requires a mark. Everything Satan does is a counterfeit, remember? And he said unto them, defile the house. Remember, judgment always starts at the house of God as well. And fill the courts with the slain, go ye forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. And it came to pass while they were slaying them, and I was left, that I fell upon my face and cried and said, Ah, Lord God, wilt thou destroy all the residue of Israel and the pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? Then said he unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood. The Lord had withheld his judgment for a long time, and the city full of perverseness, for they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth it not. It's the same thing that people today that don't believe in prophecy say, right? Where is the promise of his coming? That's in the New Testament. In verse 10, And as for me also, mine eye shall not spare neither will I have pity, but I will recompense their way upon their head. And behold, the man clothed with linen, which had the inkhorn by his side, reported the matter, saying, I have done as thou hast commanded me. Remember, the man clothed in linen is also in the New Testament. There's only one man clothed in linen, and it's when Jesus is buried. And, they, and he's the man clothed in linen in the tomb. And then when he's resurrected, he takes that napkin off his head, folds it up, sets it next to the linen that was around his body because in the Hebrew, that's a promise, a sign that I'll be back. And remember, when you're at dinner in a Hebrew household, if you're going to return again for dinner, you fold the napkin in your lap and you set it in your chair as you leave. And that's why Jesus did that. It was a sign to the Jews, I'll be back. So do not go the way of Cain, just to wrap up from where we started. Jude one eleven. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Korah is in the, in the Old Testament when the Lord sw- opened the earth and swallowed he and his whole family for the rebellion they led against God's anointed. So don't go the way of Cain. That's, that's apostasy. Hebrews 9.28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time. (laughs) I love that even the Bible talks about just the second time. The third is when he appears on the earth and steps on the mountain and slays um, all of his enemies at the battle of Armageddon, really the staging ground, without sin unto salvation. So keep in mind, as we move forward here, as we study prophecy, you have a crown if you're watching, 2 Timothy 4.8. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, he's a righteous judge, he alone, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. God says over and over in his word to be watchful. You've got to keep watching. 
You have to be watchful. Matthew 24, watch therefore. Matthew 25, watch therefore. Matthew 13, I'm sorry, Mark 13, take ye heed, watch and pray. Luke 21, watch ye therefore. Mark 13, 37, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. You've got to keep watching. That's why I think it's going to be so powerful for all of us to go through the Bible of prophecy. Why and where are we after we finish Hebrews? So you've got to renew your mind, build your faith, get into the word of God, and you only do that by Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. In 1 Corinthians 9, do not be negligent. You've got to run that you may obtain. And if you're here, if you're watching this, if you find this later and you don't know the Lord, it's very simple. It's very simple. It's Romans 10, 9. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. It is that simple. You can become born again instantaneously and then you walk according to the spirit and you study the word of God and you have victory over every adversary in your life through and by only him, Jesus. That's it. And so with that, I'll close us in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. God, we thank you for your promise that because you are a God that keeps his promises, we have the strength to endure and press on no matter what the world throws at us. So God, as we continue to march forward in your will, I pray that you would make your will absolutely clear to every one of us that, Lord, we would be led by your spirit, by your spirit alone, discerning the signs of the times and what you have for us, God. Thank you again for Hebrews and all of the lessons in it for each one of us. Be with us as we leave this place. We, pr- we continue to pray a hedge of protection around our children, in schools, wherever they are, God. The enemy always wants to destroy anything that is of you in its infancy. And God, that principle was made very clear with Herod and to kill all the babies two years and younger. And so God, we pray for supernatural protection around the children, around those that are infants in you, that are spiritually infants, that are growing rapidly for you. And God, this church that is just a couple months away from being two years old, we pray your hedge of protection, God, around all of the people. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.